Greetings, friends. Welcome and happy Monday. You're listening to the What's Right Show here on News Talk 840 KXNT, your local source for common sense conservatism, Monday through Friday, 2 p.m. All right. Yes, a somber and sad news out of Great Britain in London. A funeral for the Queen uh, took place today. Uh, and, and look, nothing much to add about that other than uh, our thoughts are with the British people. And with the royal family at this time, I I think bigger news over the weekend has been here locally. The interview that President Biden gave on 60 Minutes with Scott Pelley. Now this, you know, it's funny because there was a piece by John Podoritz in the New York Post, which is almost laudatory of Biden citing his excellent performance in the interview. Now, Podoritz, you know, he's a conservative guy, and he is not, it's not a, a fanboy, right? He's just saying, wow, look, at the bar is so low. We expect so little in terms of coherence from Biden that it is a shocking surprise when he does string together a series of coherent answers. Now, the funny thing is, is you know, if, you, if you're an observer of the news, consumer of the news, if you will, and you read from somebody like Podoritz or others that you know, most of the time you trust, and you don't go to the actual interview itself, you're almost left walking away going, well, you know what? He's got a point. Now, occasionally there are glimpses of Biden being uh, you know, competent in his answer. You think, okay, well, I wonder what I'm dealing with here. So I go to the interview, of course. I didn't see it live, but I, I processed it after the fact. Thankfully, fairly easy to get. Now, this was a 60 Minutes deal. Scott Pelley, how would I describe the... <laughs> well, this guy, this guy, it was a one softball after another. My dog could do a good job in an interview conducted by Scott Pelley, assuming, of course, that Pelley likes my dog. I mean, you know how good Trump could sound in an interview given by someone who would be as obsequious to him as Pelley was to Biden? This was, th- th- folks, this is smoke and mirrors. You could prop up one of those skeletons that you get at Home Depot Halloween's coming up you know the put the plug it in the wall put the batteries in and make noise whenever you approach i it's it to me look there's there's no question the emptiness the shallowness take away the dementia but the the lack of of uh look integrity honesty forthcomingness leadership strength None of that was projected in this interview at all. And I think one of the first headlines I saw of this was you know, Biden's tepid response as to whether he would run again in 24. He said something along the lines of, well, we will see. But that really isn't the headline in my view, right? We, of course we will see. We don't know if he'll be alive by then. I, you know, wish him no harm, but 
Come on now. As, what would he say? Come on, man. I, he doesn't look well. This is a guy who is stuttering, stuttering, uh, ambling almost through most public appearances. He walks left when he needs to walk right. He shakes people's hand second time. He, he shakes people's hands with people who aren't there. We've seen it. And so what he does, I'm, and I don't have any particular knowledge of this, but I watched it during the campaign. He had all, this, all these signs of reduced capacity during the campaign, and then magically he would get it together for, a, for, the, for the debates. You remember this? And I, I think, I'm convinced of it, there, is, there are certain drugs that you can, you can give to somebody to boost their performance temporarily. So when he sits down for an interview with a friendly reporter, I am certain of it that whatever the, you know, whatever the medication given to him, it puts him in the moment and springs him a bit to life. It is by no means, as uh, I say this again, looking back at some of this, even laudatory responses to this interview from conservatives, uh, it is not reassuring that the guy at the top of the country here knows what's going on. So I, I'll take you through, of course, the interview, some of the more, more important and perhaps more alarming responses here, take, them, take you through why I think they are, are catastrophic for us as Americans who are hoping that by some miracle of miracles, the situation in this country will improve. Now, I, I, I'm going to do this, I'm going to skip around a little bit in all of it, I does anybody, I have to ask this, because it's an important question, right? Does anybody anywhere who's been following any of this believe that Biden didn't know about the raid on Mar-a-Lago? Because it is, look, it's a foundational point. There are only two answers to that question that can be that, that, are, that are possible, and it's binary. I know that word is triggering to our friends on the left, but I, I will say it can either be he knew or he didn't know. Am I right? So let's assume for a moment that Biden didn't know, that Biden was kept deliberately in the dark by the leadership of his executive branch of which he is the head, not just the titular head, but the actual guy in charge, has no idea that the Justice Department, the head of which directly reports to the president of the United States, didn't tell the president, his boss, that they were launching a raid, issuing a search warrant against his primary political opponent an office predecessor. So either that happened or Biden did know and he's lying about it. Here is the exchange uh, with Scott Pelley exactly related to this, uh, asking, of course, the question, you know, did you know uh, about any of this happening? Have you been briefed, sir, on the top secret documents that were found at Mar-a-Lago? No. No one has come to you to warn you that important national security secrets 
were revealed by the storage of those documents at the former president's home? I have not personally spoken to anyone on that, in that regard. I'm sure my administration is aware of all of that, and so is the National Security Council, but I have not. Were you notified of the FBI's execution of a search warrant at Mar-a-Lago? No, not ahead of time. No, not ahead of time has been Joe Biden's answer over and over again. So he's either lying or he's not in control of his own government. Neither are good. If he's lying about this, of course, what else is he lying about? As we know, there's quite a bit. I personally don't know the answer. I can only speculate that he did know and that he's lying to everybody and that this is really a politically targeted hit and that it is something that absolutely has been done uh, and approved of and signed off on. I, it's just inconceivable to me that the president of the United States would not uh, not sign off on this. So this is just to give you an example where he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, and he's not. They've they've got him, they've got him just present enough with whatever they have him on to make him feel confident that he's giving straight shooting answers to straight questions. But in the end, he doesn't realize he's putting himself in a in a bind. He either looks weak and not in charge, or he looks just. Uh, unbelievable it can't be both so that's you know one part of it the other part here that really worries me is some of the na uh, national security stuff they asked him about taiwan he gave a answer about taiwan that was then quickly walked back from the from the white house the only benefit there of course being that it's good to keep the chinese guessing and i guess if they don't know what we're actually really going to do uh, then it could be a net positive. Uh, but the problem is, is that if you keep walking back what Biden is saying, and in the same interview, he's saying that he didn't know about the raid on Mar-a-Lago, every foreign adversary is going, whatever this guy says and thinks is largely irrelevant. What matters is, what does the chief of staff think? What do his top advisors think? What does his cabinet think? Those are the people that clearly must be running the country. So here is, I'll give you the other part that really was, was worrisome was his answer on the nuclear option and what would happen if Putin decided to use nuclear weapons. Vladimir Putin is becoming embarrassed and pushed into a corner. And I wonder, Mr. President, what you would say to him if he is considering using chemical or tactical nuclear weapons. Don't. Don't, don't. It will change the face of war unlike anything since World War II. And the consequences of that would be what? I'm what would the U.S. response that. be? You think I would tell you if I knew exactly what it would be? Of course I'm not going to tell you. It'll be consequential. They'll become more of a pariah in the world than they ever have been. And depending on the extent of what they do, it will determine what response would occur. And everybody's lauding this as a great answer. You think I would tell you, and this is the part that matters, right? This is part of the sentence that shows that Biden has no clue. You think I would tell you, if I knew what exactly it would be, speaking of our response. See, this is, this is weak stuff. Oh, what, what's the answer there? The, the first part of the answer was decent. But you don't admit that you don't know what your response is going to be. 
you're going to say there's going to be a response and Russia better not try anything to even get close to finding out what kind of whoop-a-money-money we are going to unleash on them. That's what you do. You take a page right out of Trump's book. I'm not getting into any of those details, but gosh dang it, it's not going to be great. Next question. That's how you deal with this stuff. This this passes for, for a good performance by our commander-in-chief. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I got to take a quick break here. Going long in the clock, but it's good stuff. More on this uh, Biden train wreck when we come back. I'll talk to you in a moment. Stay tuned. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian at your service, Monday through Friday, 2 p.m., right here, live and local. I had a story here somewhere where I didn't, I didn't print it. Did I? Oh, perfect. Here it is. Well, you know I'm a, I'm your favorite personal injury lawyer here in town. And so I am always curious about data related to driving, in particular bad driving. And you also know that my wife, bless her heart, is from Utah. Uh, She was born and raised uh, in Centerville. And that's just north of Salt Lake, those of you not in the know. Now, this story in the Daily Mail confirms everything I have known my entire life time of visiting Utah and and her and her wonderful family. Uh, guess what? Utah is America's worst state for road rage. This according to a national survey. North Dakota home to the nation's commerce drivers. I don't know anything about North Dakota drivers, but <laughs> you a lot of you here in town have friends and family in Utah. I don't know if it's so much true in southern Utah. But in the greater Salt Lake area, yes, for whatever reason, in the land of everyone being super nice to one another, going to church and interacting kindly, doing great acts of service and all that stuff that I take nothing away from, for whatever reason, these people get behind the wheel and turn into maniacs. Producer Robbie is laughing because he too has family in Utah and knows that I am 100% right on this. Uh, Yeah, uh, more than 50% of Utah drivers have reported experiencing a rude or or offensive gesture from a fellow driver. Do I say this on air? Um, Yeah, the best example of this is my father-in-law. I love him. He is a fantastic guy, and he is the kindest, most honest, and just all-around good human being there is. When he gets behind the wheel, he gets very impatient. He doesn't flip people off, but he gets impatient and gets angry. He turns into a different person. I'm convinced it's something environmental. And if you have thoughts on this, because I know many of you listening have family in Utah or are from Utah, in fact, uh, tell me. Shoot me an email, sam at samandashlaw.com. That's the best way to reach me. 
and uh, tell me your thoughts because this is, well, it's getting now international attention, the driving in Utah. I, where do we rank here? Uh, I didn't see, we, did, we, we didn't make the top, you know, top 10 list here in Nevada, so we're, we're in the clear. Although, uh, here in Nevada, I would just say don't engage with anybody. I always say this, right? Don't engage with anybody on the road. It's okay to be wrong. Let them cut in front of you. Let them do whatever. Don't challenge anybody uh, because every year there's, you know, one or two shootings out on the road and they can be fatal and it's not simply not worth it. All right, back to Biden and his interview on Sunday with Scott Pelley. 60 minutes, softball extravaganza that it was. You know, Pelly. Pelly sets this up. I give you an example of just how softball it all was. So you get into the question of gas prices. Gas prices, ah, oh, Biden taking credit for gas prices. It's even in the way that the question is set up. Because here he, you know, Pelly starts with the premise, two important premises, that gas prices have come down significantly. And the other one that there is the Vladimir Putin component, that that is the reason that our prices are so high. Listen to this and how it gets treated, and I'll give you my thoughts. Mr. President, the price of gasoline is down about 26% from the $5 high. What can you do to keep that price down while Vladimir Putin is throttling energy well, there's, supplies? There's a couple of things we've done. For example, remember I got some criticism for releasing a million barrels of oil a day from a strategic petroleum reserve. And then along came the industry saying they'd produce another million barrels a day by the spring. So I think we're in relatively good shape. Yeah, okay, so we're not in relatively good shape. I just tanked up this morning. My wife's the one with the electric car. I tanked up this morning. So I had to go out and, and it was almost six bucks for premium gas right here in town. It was, I don't know, 560, 570-something where I tanked up. It's a lot. And the reason is not just Putin. The reason is that Biden can't get the Saudis to come to the table, produce more gas. That's been a big, remember he went there hat in hand. Oh, pretty please, let's talk and do, no, shut down. And the real, the real elephant in the room is that his absolutely brain-dead environmental policy is what's gotten us into this mess to begin with. Any commodity, any commodity where there is a reduction in supply, whether real or perceived, will result in the price of that commodity going up. That's the way markets work. I didn't make those rules up, Okay. That's just an observable fact, an immutable characteristic of how the free market operates. You can't, you can't redefine that with words the way the libs are redefining gender. You, you can't just wave a magic wand. That's how it works. So when the president of the United States gets up and says, we are going to go carbon neutral and we don't care if gas prices go up and we're not going to renew leases for oil exploration, for, uh, for uh, drilling, we're going to shut down pipelines. The market's going to react. That's the reason. And if it was any other interviewer other than Scott Pelley, he'd raise that point. You think he did? Eh, did not. 
this, all of this is such, it's, it's maddening. There are two sets of standards in the media, in the justice system, Republicans versus Democrats. The benefits that Biden is getting in this term is appallingly different and better than Trump ever received. So I've got bottom of the hour here. We've got to take a break for the news. But friends, let me tell you, this, 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 all of this is, um, is news. How does this matter in the election? Does any of it move the needle either way? Well, I have a thought here from Bill Clinton when we come back. Uh, maybe that will shed some light on it. You'll want to hear this. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. No confusion here. This is the place to be, 2 to 3 p.m., Monday through Friday, on News Talk 840 KXNT, live and local, Sam Rajovsky, the What's Right program, your favorite Las Vegas attorney and conservative friend reporting for duty, as per usual at this time, enjoying a little Monday uh, takedown. I had mentioned a little bit earlier, touched on the interview that Biden gave with Scott Pelley, major softball deal and unsettling in various ways. If you missed that, portion of the show are just tuning in now. Of course, you can go back in time, time travel to the beginning uh, by going to the podcast, which we'll have live. Uh, we always upload the show a few hours after we uh, get off air. So every day's program is uh, reachable to you, uh, available to you by going either to Apple Podcast, if you've got that app, or Spotify, if you're a Spotify subscriber, go on there. It's free, easy to download. What's right show? And just click on the button to subscribe. And there it is. You'll have uh, daily updates during the week as these shows come on air. Now, I always want to contextualize whatever you know, event, political event occurs with what the effect of it will be. Now, I – so I look at this interview and I think, okay, so what's the next major political event uh, that can be affected by this? And, of course, it's the midterms. We're 49 days away, uh, and I've got a countdown clock now. So it's, what is this now, 1,183 hours and 71,000 minutes and 427,000 seconds. So we're, we're getting there, seven weeks away. That's how close we are to the midterms. Why is Biden giving an interview now? And he hasn't given one for, I think it's been 230 days, 223 days. I had it written down here somewhere. 223 days the man has not sat down with a single journalist, not even a friendly one, to give uh, you know, a, a long-format interview. So why now? Well, it's all about the midterms. That's the story. The other part of this is, of course, that there's another event coming up in, in seven weeks plus two years, and that is the 24 election. And he got a little testy answering the question of age and, and, and whatnot, and I didn't play that clip. I didn't play that clip, but it's so important, so permit me 
I don't like to jump around, but I, he, th- this is so important to why, why this happened and what effect it will have. Here's Biden getting testy about his age, getting called out by Pelley, saying he's the oldest president in the history of time. You are the oldest president ever. Pretty good shape, huh? Which leads to my next question. You are more aware of this than anyone. Some people ask whether you are fit for the job. And when you hear that, I wonder what you think. Watch me. <laughs> I mean, honest to God, that's all I think. Watch me. If you think I don't have the energy level or the mental acuity, then, then you know, that's one thing. It's another thing of just watching and, and, you know, keep my schedule. Do what I'm doing. I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, I don't, when I sit down with our NATO allies and keep them together, I don't have them saying, wait a minute, how, how old are you? What are you, what did say? You know, I mean, it's a matter of, you know, that old expression, the proof of the pudding's in the eating. <laughs> well, the only thing he's right about is that he's eating a lot of pudding these days. Uh, sorry, I try. I try not to laugh during some of these clips. How can you watch that and not think to for a minute, well, wait, wait a minute, sir, with all due respect, we are watching you. And we don't like what we see. We don't observe a person who's in, in charge of all of his faculties. See, I think that one of the issues at hand, one Biden is in a fight for his survival right now for the midterms. Maintaining control over the House and the Senate is is important to him. If the Republicans get in charge, what happens? Well, I don't know. I'm hoping a lot more investigating and certainly some breaks on this runaway crazy left-wing train that Biden has set into motion. And Biden, using that term, the Biden administration, of course, all the people that are working in the back office who, you know, whose names you don't even know, but who are affecting your life in immeasurable ways. So there it is. I I, I think he's fighting, obviously, for the midterm. He's also fighting. He's he's under a tremendous amount of pressure. Because he wants to run again. He wants to hang on to this job. He's loving the gig. Make no mistake about it. Jill Biden loves the gig. Being announced at every event, first lady of the United States, Dr. Jill Biden. You, I cannot tell you how intoxicating it is to her. She looks, I, I'm telling you, I'm a shrewd observer of people. She loves every moment of this. She's wanted this more than him. For all the people out there that were complaining, like, you know, how does Jill not see that her husband is not well? This was in the lead up to the 2020 uh, election. My answer, of course, was uh, she's acutely aware and she's putting him through it uh, for her own personal gain and benefit. Right? This is a great gig for her. And so... I, I'm I'm convinced, right, that there is a, a struggle, and I've talked to you, uh, about this at length, is I, I think there's this enormous internal struggle within the Democratic Party. A number of people are sitting Biden down and saying, do not run. You are done. End it now, or you will lose our support. And what he is desperate to do is once in a while pop up and seem confident. 
Now, another bit of information that came out, and this was, I'll tell you when, this was on Sunday as well. Yeah, this was with Fareed Zakaria, Bill Clinton, who is no spring chicken himself, but certainly still up to all of his wily ways and tricks and more present and coherent uh, than Biden ever was or will be, uh, said this about how the GOP, likelihood of the GOP winning the races, the houses, uh, what the state of the election is and what he thinks are a factor. Listen to this. Fascinating. We could hold both these houses, but we have to say the right things. And we have to note the Republicans always close well. Why? Because they find some new way to scare the living daylights out of swing voters about something. That's what they did in 2021, where they made critical race theory sound worse than smallpox. And it wasn't being taught in any public schools in America, but they didn't care. And they didn't care. Okay. Republicans just like to scare swing voters. This is Bill Clinton in full campaign mode. Bill Clinton has, is on the record over and over again, multiple times, talking about how crazy and left-wing and out there on the fringe the Democratic Party is. He has not been shy about, about criticizing his own party for their leftward you know, left-wing push on the, not, okay, not just on critical race theory, which of course we know is being taught in school, so he's lying through his teeth there, surprise, uh, but also on matters, of, you know, gender identity and, and, and the Me Too movement, all this, all this, you know, believe all women, the list is environmental issues, all of the stuff. See, Bill Clinton is, is shrewd. He knows he won the election when he ran against George H.W. Bush in 92, making the election entirely about the economy. And then, you know, Bush went into the election popular. Of course, he was Reagan's vice president. But the shifting tides of the economic reality on the ground for plain, everyday, ordinary Americans was bad. Clinton capitalized on that. And he understands that, so he knows how precarious it is. And they're, they're putting him out there right now. He has to hold on to some extent to his party status, so he's, he's putting this out there. He's, he's, making, he's, just, he's talking about stuff that don't, doesn't really isn't true and doesn't matter, but he's holding the party line. So what, is, what does all this mean? I think they're very nervous about the election. That's my uh, takeaway from listening to Clinton listening to Biden, listening to others, they're, they're nervous about it. I think in the back of their minds, they're concerned that these polls are just not as, as accurate and as, when I say confidence-inspiring, yeah, as, as, as they're not certain of the polling. It could even be that there's some private polling that hasn't been released that they've done internally that shows very different results than were, were you know, those polls that are being publicly released by the media. Remember, a lot of these polls are, are paid for by publications that have a vested interest in suppressing the Republican vote. And there's no better way to suppress the vote than by putting you know, a series of polls out there saying, you know, it's the, the Senate's, you know, Republicans really have like a you know, 25% chance now of holding the Senate. It was weeks ago, for example, breaking it down into individual races, uh, if Fetterman 
And Dr. Oz, we were told a few weeks ago, this is Dr. Dr. Oz is floundering. But, you know, there's something brewing in that race. And Fetterman, he's the guy who looks like the meth head. He, he's, the, he's the meth head uh, electrician that you, you, know, you have over because, you know, he, he's, he's, he's a nice guy. But you're not, you're not certain whether or not he's going to cross the wires and ultimately burn your house down. Well, that's Fetterman. He always shows up in the, in the hoodie, and he plays the everyman bit. Lived at his parents' house until he was maybe 55. He's running against Oz, who I don't like personally as a candidate either. But if I have to choose between a rep- – in this cycle, friends, it's very straightforward for me. I will vote Republican all the way down the ticket because we need a balance here. We need to fight this craziness that's going on in, in, in the in – the, in the, with, with the Biden administration and everything that they're doing. They need to be stopped. People need to be hauled in front of committees. Documents need to be subpoenaed. Persons in the know have to be put under oath. This is so important. And the agenda, to the extent that we're able to, through the power of the purse, in Congress needs to be slowed down, if not arrested. So I... Look, I'm, I, I'm. That's my thought. But so, so Oz is not a strong candidate, but he's he seems to be uh, rebounding a little bit here in Nevada. The races are very tight; they're within the margin of error in the polls. And thankfully, it appears that that Laxalt, Adam Laxalt, uh, running for the Senate here in Las uh, in Nevada, has a chance. As uh, does Sheriff Lombardo. Uh, running against Sisolak, which, of course, is is a no-brainer. He's not my preferred candidate. But the idea of re-electing Sisolak is an absolute no-go for me. And so this, all of this, I think, I think, you know, the reason they, they, they filled Biden full of happy drugs and, and, and coherent meds to get him to give an interview when we're seven weeks out from the midterms, there's a reason, and it's, it's that, and 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 I, does it help? I don't think so because he downplays and makes everything sound like everything's fine. He talks about inflation. Well, it's it's just going up gradually. You don't tell people that because for all of us that are going to the store, I don't care if it was gradual, if it spiked overnight, it affects us. It's making us poorer. We get our raises, we get our you know incremental increases in salary, and we buy less with that money. We know, we can feel the extent to which we are heading into uh, a painful time. So I economically, so I, I think it and ultimately ended up just being a guy who sounds very out of touch and sounds like he's making excuses for everything, and, and, and that's not the tenor by which to go into this election. And yeah, to Bill Clinton's answer, Republicans are right to raise the alarm about all these wackadoodle things that the Democrats are trying to do, the radical agendas that they're trying to sneak by in the dead of the night. And that's where Youngkin, for example, in, in Virginia, the big upset victory, when the Republican won the race there, it happened because moms and dads got out to vote and they did not want the radical left-wing agenda in their children's schools. That was the deciding factor. And in seven weeks, I'm convinced the economy and some of these other extreme things, and the particular the border issue. I, I will get into DeSantis and the shipping of of, uh, of illegal immigrants off to Martha's Vineyard. There's been a lot of noise about that. And when we come back, 
all of these are going to be big issues. I, I sense right now a bit of a shift, and I'm optimistic about it. Okay, friends, got to take a quick break. Again, going long, all the stuff to talk about. I'll be right back. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. I have a reminder, friends, that on Thursday, this Thursday, I will be doing more than just an hour here on the station. I'm going to be here 2 to 5 p.m. Uh, we're doing the uh, f- uh, four, uh, four Corners uh, food drive uh, to help our friends over at Three Square. It's our annual fundraiser that uh, we do here on the station. It's a great thing that we do in the community. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different this year to the extent that no one begins yelling at me, and that is, since I'm on from 2 to 5, and this is news talk, and you do expect a certain kind of content here, I'm not going to make it just about the fundraiser. I will bring up the fundraiser and the hotline and all of that stuff, but in respect to all of you, we will also do a full show, three-hour show, by the end of which I will lose my voice uh, in its entirety, uh, talking about current events and things in the news. And we'll also talk a little bit about the necessity of being charitable and good people here in the Valley and helping out our friends and neighbors that uh, that need some assistance. So look forward to that on Thursday. bit of a programming note. I'll be here 2 to 5 for three hours. Buckle up, buttercup. All right. <laughs> no, Governor DeSantis is not a human trafficker or a kidnapper, so reads a terrific uh, article by John Turley in The Hill today. I could I told you this last week, but uh, but now that we have a constitutional scholar confirming what I, your faithful Las Vegas attorney, Sam Rajovsky, said to you, I feel like, uh, you know, now you believe me even more. The, the, <laughs> the charges that are being thrown about uh, by people like Gavin Newsom, Charlie Crist, who's running against DeSantis uh, in the race for governor in Florida, that election, of course, coming up in November, uh, the, the, the things that the charges, the types of laws that they claim DeSantis violated are big. Uh, they're accusing him of kidnapping, of human trafficking, of uh, RICO charges, which is you know a statute uh, that deals with uh, basically you know predicate offenses that uh, constitute, when done in concert together with with others, as a uh, organized crime, right? So this is RICO being the laws that were passed to help combat the mafia. So yes, in it must be tough to be the left right now. They are they are really digging deep on this. That one of the best points, and I made this point last week, but I love that Turley brings it up too. Is that is that if they charge him, if the feds come in and file charges against. Florida, uh, related to this transportation of of illegals across state lines and whatever theory they come up with, they would have to then go go about and charge themselves, <laughs> because everything that that was done here by Abbott in Texas and uh, and DeSantis in Florida was done by the by the feds. They've been shipping people to New York. They've been doing it for for weeks, for months. 
So it really undermines your case when you yourself are engaging in the same type of conduct you're alleging to be unlawful, unlawfully committed by others. So I, this to me is laughable. The other part of it that I love, and he doesn't get at it in the article, but I just love the difference. You know, when, okay, when the feds, when the Biden administration sends illegal immigrants to Chicago, no one says boo. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, you know, she said, well, we're dealing with this humanitarian crisis, blah, 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 blah. And that's the end of it. When Abbott sends a busload of migrants up to Texas, what happens? Oh, my gosh, this fascist and this and that. And by the way, we're immediately removing these unwanted people to a Republican suburb. <laughs> this is so good. Meanwhile, MSNBC undermined its own story. This is great. Uh, I... I will have to play this tomorrow. I'm just out of time. It, it's so good because it turns out the migrants weren't that unhappy in Martha's Vineyard. It wasn't so bad. We're going to continue following the story. Friends, I know I went long last segment, so now, unfortunately, I'm cut short. Great to be with you. Please check out the podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify. The whole show is always there every day after it ends. And I will see you again tomorrow. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. KXNT.